0: so hit a jump right foot unclips when i land i land on the back tire which you know as you can imagine as a Uh guy yeah Uh which then full you know it was off of like a 10 foot kicker and land completely on that that region get sucked into the back of the frame so Uh i use that that whole region to stop the bike (laughs) basically um (laughs)
1: Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action.
2: Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. Uh, today in studio, I'm excited. We have Ryan and John Kraft, uh, who are the entrepreneurs behind a local brand, Ride All Day. That's based out of Colorado Springs here. And it's, it's going to be really fun to just figure out what your journey was like. But uh, thank you guys for... Coming
1: on the show, spending some time with us. Thanks thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. We
3: appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, as is our custom here on Supa, we'd love to hear where you guys came from. Usually that's a story of some far afield location that eventually winds its way to Colorado, but I understand that's not the case. No i um, born and raised here. Um, I
3: was born in the 80s. I'm a little older than Ryan. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I lived in Colorado Springs up until I left for college, and I've always stayed in Colorado
1: and in Denver now, but uh, Ryan is based here. <laughs> All right. So since everybody who is local to the Springs always has to ask, what high school?
4: Oh, um, well, I don't believe that it's open anymore. <laughs> oh. It might be, oh, she's, a, she's there. She's oh, there. it might be a school for
3: the delinquent crowd. But I, yeah, Mitchell High School, a very uh, diverse school system. So I grew up around a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds. So I thought that was good and it kind of helped develop me better as a more well-rounded person.
1: Yeah, not always the story here in the Springs, which depending on what corner of town you're in, it can be yeah. pretty... Blanco.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, let's see here going to school there and then uh, middle school. I think there are a lot of us schools are shut down now that I went to. Um, so, but no, it was good. A lot of military presence in the Springs, obviously with all the different military bases. So that's where I got the diversity from. And I don't think I would have wanted to grow up any other way. Cause I got a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different backgrounds. So I feel, um, Don't want to say blessed, but um, I think it's made me a better, well-rounded person
0: overall. Yeah. Very nice. Dan, I said, I'm John's younger brother, um, eight years apart. We went to the same exact schools, same group in the same house. Our parents still live there, you know, 40 years later. So uh, I actually left the Springs to go to college and moved in with John uh, in Denver there. Um found, you know, a couple different cycling jobs from there, which I guess, you know, we can dive into a little bit more. But it was yeah. um yeah, I lived with John, uh finished up college, came back here, uh, and then yeah, it was something we wanted to start the brand and all
1: right. So yeah, where did cycling come into this? Cause a lot of the stories for people here, and mine is the same on the show, are growing up somewhere where biking is terrible. There is no mountain biking. And here you guys grew up in a mountain biking paradise. So were you on two wheels from early on, or did that come later?
0: Not a bit. Really? <laughs> it's it's no. kind of backwards. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear the, it.
3: The funny thing about it is, of course, uh, when I was younger, you had the BMX bike, Diamondback,
0: mm-hmm. uh, what was all GTs, it? All that. GT,
3: Redline, or whatever that brand was back then, were the top dogs. And we go, we'd go in the ditches and ride the walls like half pipes, jump a little, but used it for transportation to like go do other things. It was never a lifestyle thing. It was always involved in my life, but mountain biking never did it. It wasn't until after I left college, but I was like, I need something to do in the summer. I want to be outside. The weather is awesome here. And so I went and bought a $400 Trek bike. Um, my uncle, he went and bought one too. He's 20 years uh, older than me. And we went on our first ride and it was like 10 mile ride or whatever. And we're like, oh, how do people do this? I don't even <laughs> think it was that. I think it was, is, Where was this? Do you crazy. remember? We were up by uh, monument. Spruce uh, mountain. Spruce mountain oh, was okay. Greenland yeah. open space there. And we were uh-huh. mostly on flats, but it, it kicked our butt and we were like, I, I want to keep doing this. So we started going two or three times a week uh-huh. and I've never stopped since. And that was uh, 13 years ago about.
0: Yeah, that was about when they when I lived with John. They said, "Hey, you need to go buy a bike." Me and my uncle, you know, were doing this, and I was like, "All right, sounds good." And then we do it, and I was like, "This is the best thing I've ever seen." But it was the same thing with the you know the BMX bikes growing up. Obviously, the type of school we went to wasn't uh blessed to have a a mountain bike team or any sort of cycling (laughs) affiliation Uh, i think the decade
1: you grew up in wasn't blessed to have mountain bike teams i think it's a safer way to say yeah yeah it was
0: no
3: and and it it wasn't like public information with trails and stuff you were lucky to find an individual who kind of explored like palmer park to figure out routes themselves if you could get with them then you would know but i mean if you didn't know someone then there was directly into mountain biking or anything like that, you really didn't have an opportunity to figure it out.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the days before any apps, you know, like Strava mountain bike project, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. That was when I got in to Palmer the first time and it was the same story. I got led around there by somebody who just knew how the place worked. And I mean, that was, that was it. That was biking was just a few people in the woods hunting around for their for their own fun, Mm -hmm. not really telling anybody else about it.
3: Yeah. And, and if you're not mountain biking or connected to the cycling community, you really don't realize what an awesome um, opportunity it is to be on two wheels, complete freedom, no rules, really. It's it's one of the few things, I mean, you can go as hard, as, as light as you want because you're just kind of risking yourself. And so people get to the level where they won they feel comfortable and really opens up an avenue but isn't like a lot of sports that are controlled and everything like
0: that yeah so
1: so speaking of risk how long how long was it before either of you took a good digger
0: so mine was at it was probably a year and a half later um it was at if you know hidden mesa i in, don't in, actually so it, it's outside it's, of like Franktown, like near it's, parker it's hidden okay and, it, uh, it is kind of, but yeah. it is,
3: it's kind of cool for what it is out there, and I still go
0: ride it with my wife once in a while, just as a chill ride.
1: Mm-hmm. All right.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that was the first big digger, full ER room visit, knee blown apart, the oh, whole nine no. yards. What did you do? I was mad because John sold me this bunk harrow. <laughs> it was like, it had like pretty much like what What do you consider like fat bike tires now like a f- like a 27 yeah. plus like gargantuan old like tiogas i think and he- <laughs> yeah
3: those pedals were really big and they would clip i liked them because they were this uh uh, muted gold color and it went with the red frame that was kind of muted i, I loved love this bike
0: and it, it bikes... probably weighed like 40 pounds and had like 120 mils of travel and all the bikes <laughs> we
3: got initially me my uncle and my brother we would just exchange them down the line yeah. i would take it from my uncle because he <laughs> had the most resources to buy the nice bikes it would get passed down to me and then passed down to ryan so by the time he I got see. it they were uh they were not—they were enough. slightly
0: used, not fresh.
3: <laughs> they were not in the best mechanical shape. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, so I was—I was so mad that he's—you know—he uh, like the the linkage was loose and all this stuff. And I was like, "Forget you guys, I'm headed down." I thought I was—you know—I thought it was so good.
3: He thought he was cool. We—he gave us that look, kind of an angry look. I'm gonna go tear down this trail um, and show you guys what's up. Because Immediately, I've wrecked. had enough of this bike and everything. <laughs> and he took off, and I was like. And as soon as he took off, I was like, this isn't going to end well. No, no. So <laughs> immediately
0: like 10 feet into this boulder field, if if anyone's ridden Hidden Mesa, you know, there's like one climb and it's just this horrendous boulder field, immediately wrecked, knees blown apart. You know, we got to nurse you back to the trailhead so we can, you know, go to the ER and uh, Parker Adventist. And that was the first uh, actual injury. I really, oh, man. the only real injury i've ever had i think yeah
3: well uh, you'll have good. to tell them in a little while about your uh veil adventure i haven't <laughs> i haven't heard too many people get an injury like this no, on the mountain bike. About,
1: yeah. <laughs> all right or maybe or maybe we just get to hear
0: about it now well yeah go ahead last like, season a yeah, like year and a half ago like last season in Vale. um hitting the bike park that kind of thing we're not on the haro
1: at this point we're like no, on a real bike now Yeah,
0: we're on the revel at this point so uh-huh. it was it shout was all, out shout out i still blame it on the pedals to this day <laughs> were you riding the, the same crap pedals it was the same shimano pedals for like they were like a decade old like, still like they clipped in fine everything's fine uh-huh. so hit a jump right foot unclips when i land i land on the back tire which you know as you can imagine yeah. as a guy uh-huh. yeah Which then full, you know, it was off of like a ten-foot kicker and land completely on that that region Get sucked into the back of the frame So I used that whole region to stop the bike (laughs) Basically (laughs) Um, And this was like uh, For anyone that has ridden Vale, uh, it was on Radio Flyer Uh (laughs) Pretty much the top of the mountain So I had to ride, you know 30 minutes down the fire road just snaking back and forth just to get to town to <laughs> then proceed to go to the hospital i presume you fail. were riding standing down the fire road <laughs> yeah it was it was all bets were off little little nauseous <laughs> little white headed yeah it, it was that's probably the one of the like and it's like such a cringy like even story to like every, there's never somebody who doesn't just yeah. Uh, yeah that was probably actually my worst wreck um i mean that was, that everything was, probably, was still attached right yeah yeah there was, okay. a, there was a lot of tests that needed to happen to make sure, to make sure things were, were working i
1: i feel
2: your pain yeah, I, I had a close encounter of a similar kind not not quite that intense but uh, over on avery at evolution bike park in crested butte okay the last the last tabletop
0: uh-huh. yeah. that rear tire you gotta be careful
1: those tires are hungry
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, I immediately took the pedals off the bike because I was like, I did this to myself. I'm riding the same clipless Shimano's for like 11 years and wondered why they failed and just fell apart. Threw yep. out, got new pedals. I was, you know, <laughs> luckily <laughs> no, nothing weird has happened since so. Good, good.
2: Well, if it wasn't cycling growing up, what, uh, what did you guys enjoy?
3: Well, I did. I, I, uh, like, You're more into the like, car culture. Yeah, as I got a little older, car culture. So I had a passion ever since I was younger for clothing. Um, I I just liked having some designer stuff growing up. I mean, I guess it was just what was going on then. Like, you know, hip hop was big in the 90s and everyone wanted Tommy Hilfiger, Nautica, Jordans and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Uh So I took part in that. I like that. I mean, I played football like everyone else. Uh, You play for two or three years and find something else, a little bit of hockey uh, tennis, <laughs> oh. um, inline hockey, stuff like that. Just like the uh, first kinda, on
1: your block to get the whole set here.
3: Yeah, kind of just whatever your friends were doing that you were hanging out with most of that time. You try, um, skateboard culture. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did took that. I mean, anything I did, I I went a hundred percent at and would kind of progress in it quickly and was dedicated for a set time and then if your friends weren't into it anymore, you kind of just went to what they were into, but everything I did, I really poured my heart into, and I was really passionate about it with stuff I would do on a daily basis, not just on weekends.
4: Yeah.
2: So
3: fortunate to have friends that did a lot of athletic stuff. So it was good.
0: Ryan, was it similar for you? So I was actually, I got into uh, dirt biking at a young age. Okay. Um, friends had dirt bikes again. We never even thought about regular cycling. Um, So, got into moto a lot, and that was really what took me through, like, high school, Uh, and I actually, for, like, a three-year stint, um, became a professional boxer, which was kind of, like, a weird, like, segue into, like, I started biking because I needed something to get me in shape when i wasn't like sparring and stuff like that that was the whole really? reason i i even got into biking was, <laughs> yeah, so wait what level I, were I, you competing I so i <laughs> skipped past golden gloves which is mm-hmm. like your typical under 18 stuff because i didn't want to wear headgear but i okay. had to until i turned 18. yeah uh so then as soon as i turned 18 you did but was on don't in boxing there's no like steps to being like you just literally sign up like hey i got my pro card i can fight for money now there's no, no like, really? gatekeeper it's the At sketchiest all. industry ever Yeah, so no.
1: it's, it's literally you and anybody in any title Every, fight any
0: bum that can get off the street they'll do really? they have a pro card it takes like 20 minutes that you can you can get a pro card in boxing if you're <laughs> <laughs> good to know
1: so, probably not going to try that but good to know in case i get bored
3: that was interesting because i remember uh the guy he was training with um was a professional boxer and then he said there was an opportunity for my brother to fight in this undercard or preliminary matches or whatever. So he kind of, I was
0: decently good. Yeah, no, he's a
3: really good fighter. And I think he's still boxing today. Mm -hmm. He owned a couple of gyms, but I remember Ryan's like, I'm coming up to do this, uh, on the undercard and do this, this fight. And I'm like, okay, well, it just got real pretty quick here. Um, I'll meet you at the weigh in. And it was all the, all the logistical stuff, but you can really dive right into it if you if you <laughs> yes. think you're ready. So that was interesting, and like he said, it's a it's a very uh, cutthroat world. Uh, a lot of promoters, a lot of shady stuff going on, as you've always heard in the mm-hmm. boxing world. It's true, all, all of,
0: of it. it yeah, you'll do right
3: all.
1: down to the people trying to pay you to take a dive at some point. Like, did you see or hear of any of that?
0: No. Well, the the thing you'll see is like they'll. The crowd and the judges, you can tell, are clearly being paid to, you know, vote one guy to win. Oh, okay. So you'll see a guy who just gets, you know, demolished and somehow still win. And you're like, there's no mathematical way you won this fight at all. A lot
3: of financial uh, promises made before the fight. So anyone who's in that world, make sure you get paid before.
0: (laughs) The amount of promoters I've had to, like, chase down and, like, threaten. Not that nearly. seems really <laughs> like a bad
1: business model to be a shady promoter, because you're literally angering people whose professional job it is to hit you.
3: Well, and that's part of why the industry is kind of falling apart for that aspect. And I mean, totally off topic from cycling, but you know, that's where the UFC <laughs> I'm fascinated. and yeah. other things flourish because they have that such structure, regimented yeah. structure and the boxing world doesn't have that. You have too many
2: hands involved. <laughs> so uh, as it I were mean, i feel like most people know about boxing
1: through like daredevil or whatever <laughs> some uh, of the rocky, rocky or, media yeah, of some yeah,
4: kind some yeah media
1: yeah
0: all right so how long did you do this so that was probably from beginning of high school through when i when i moved in with john to start college so that was probably five years or so I'd say
1: and was any of this like like was this just like fun money on the side or were you starting to think like hey this could go somewhere you think
0: you're like a 16 year old kid you're like they're gonna pay me like 500 bucks even if i just oh yeah get dropped in the first round no (laughs) (laughs) sign me up yeah um but it was it's incredibly stressful it's incredibly hard on your body um i personally hate being like in the spotlight as far as you know public speaking and that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. Like my first real fight was at this place called Red and Jerry's, this is off of Broadway in Denver. <laughs> right. It's a big uh, sp- It's it, like a Dave and Buster's almost, like okay. for
3: adult like sports book betting before it was big. But they, you you hear this and you think it was going to be a small venue, but you go in there and they set up a major promotion and uh, It was packed. packed center thousands it, of people. It, it's, it's packed, and you're like, wow, this is kind of cool, but kind of intimidating at the mm-hmm. same time for someone that young who's never thought and you go in there
1: yeah and so you had and so you had no idea it was going to be that big until you basically got to the show not a single clue and you're in the ring what what is going through your head as you're stepping into the ring
0: crazy part about this is it was my first fight it was an exhibition fight against one of Dog the Bounty Hunter's sons. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> I can't think of I up. love this. He was a lot of kids, so it wasn't yeah, one of the TV ones. It wasn't ones. like Leland or any of those guys yeah. like, TV it was, kids. It was one of his like illegitimate kids who like was never in the spotlight. <laughs> and it was against this random dude. Yeah, and he was like, that's how they promoted him. It was like, Dog the Bounty Hunter's son, and you're like. Well, I don't know who this guy is. And, uh, <laughs> so I fought. Luckily, I lost on points. Um, but you, you, you
1: stood on your feet. Like yeah, you stayed up. it was
0: one of those things. It was like this is crazy. Like I don't even know what is happening right now. <laughs> fighting Dog, the bounty hunter's son, and this weird turn of events. And, and yeah, it was.
3: It's it an was adrenaline wild. rush for sure. I imagine because you go from just your regular life to in this ring for just a set amount of time and that's how i could see people get that adrenaline rush similar to mountain biking and racing you know doing downhill runs or enduro stages you know
1: (laughs) so what got you out of it
0: so it was i hated that like it makes it so nerve-wracking and i was like i'm not built for this like if this Uh, crowd gets any bigger or anything or if i get hurt because the second fight i did completely just destroyed this guy had like exhibition fights they can do um where you don't have to be in the same weight class technically oh (laughs) okay this is getting shadier all the time (laughs) (laughs) this guy was just ripped and i was like this 18 year old kid like oh this guy is gonna destroy and of course he did like yes you know so that was one of those things where you take a step back and say like oh man this is i don't know if i'm built for this if i could you know train like this every day and be in this world Yeah. So that was when I started kind of looking for other things to do, which led into the cycling with John and my uncle, you know, getting bikes. And I was like, I, this, this seems a lot more low key. There's not, (laughs) there's not a crowd around. And now it's kind of the segue. It was. I, I hated the nervousness of being in front of that many people and, Mm. you know, expected to perform.
1: Oh gosh. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds terrible. (laughs) Well, to, to
2: my knowledge, you are the first professional boxer to be on Supa. Yeah, that's true. Actually. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
1: I'll take it. I mean. and. If you won even one fight, you are the winningest professional boxer to ever right. be on the so, show. Yeah, that's the he, last one. He won fight.
3: the third and last one. Yeah, I had John in my ring. Yeah, I said something corner. needs to change. Uh, I'm going to be in your ring corner. And I'm just telling him all kinds of crazy just nonsense, like nothing, <laughs> but...
4: nonsense,
3: like babbling, just to get him uh, like, at just, a level where he was mad. It. But like, <laughs> it, yeah. So it, it worked out though. But after that, that. The boxing
1: career was kind of done. What are, you, what are you doing to get him mad? Are you like, hey, remember that time when we were six? Yeah, I got you in trouble. You S- remember that?
3: stuff to that. We, <laughs> we more play off like uh, family emotions and dramas. So I said some personal stuff to him, family drama stuff or things that had happened in our past or stuff like that. Just, and drum up just stuff that, you know, hit him a little emotionally deeper and, and it appeared to work. Yeah, no,
2: it didn't. <laughs> Does the same thing work on the trail?
0: Like, if you need to get over an uh, obstacle Depending on something? how tired either one of us are. Like, sometimes it'll just, like, hit too deep and you give up. But <laughs> oh. other times it's like...
2: Yeah,
3: I'll stay behind them and I'll start talking like I'm a commentator, you know, in the World Cup or something, in uh-huh. different accents. Like, I'm making a move on you on your left. Just <laughs> stuff like that. I just mess around a lot. The more tired I get, the more talkative I get on the trail. I think it's all the endorphin <laughs> releases. But, yeah, we just talk a lot of crap. And we've always been me my uncle and my brother when we first started always wanted to outperform each other so it was more cross-country based and we do this my uncle lived in monument so we would do this thing he called the trifecta so we'd go over to greenland open space do that at a race pace um i I was on that harrow at this time that ryan had mentioned that he crashed (laughs) on the 40 pounder Uh yeah Yeah. she wasn't uh she wasn't the fastest, wasn't aerodynamic, <laughs> so I was always behind, mad then. Then we'd go over to Spruce, do a lap there, and then we'd go over to Mount Hermon and do a lap there. So just completely destroyed. So we built like a a good uh, foundation of endurance right off the bat. The first couple of years, that's all we did was endurance cross-country stuff to build it up
0: to be faster than each other that's all we cared about yeah we knew nobody else in (laughs) in the world that had a bicycle (laughs) had ridden a mountain bike anything we literally were like this trifecta right three stooges on the trail he had this this white
3: cargo van for his uh business and we would just get in that and we would just go to these trails and just do them till we couldn't pedal anymore to build this endurance level but it was like nothing i'd ever felt i i fell in love after the first ride
2: Oh. oh, man. So it wasn't long before you were riding all day?
3: Uh, essentially, yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, and, and it's Foreshadowing. funny. Foreshadowing. A rad, it's been a, you know, a term that has been used through the ages that is making a comeback now, I feel like. Yep. Uh-huh. And I was like, what do we associate ourselves with ride all day? And then you're out there and it's just a sport where you're like, I wish I could do this all day. I just want to ride all day. And I was like, that ties into it perfectly. And it makes the rad term. And then we, um, obviously, in the logo, we kind of didn't outline a Pike's Peak behind it, then the state pine tree, you know, we kind of infused some little things that people wouldn't think about to make it more uh, personalized to us and make it a better logo. As as simple as it is, we really did put a lot of thought into it. We just sat there one day and bounced ideas, kind of a think tank, off each other until we came up with it. And I was like, let's go.
1: (laughs) Okay, so stepping back a bit, we've got you guys in college in Denver. You are on bikes and enjoying them by yourselves as the three stooges, yeah. <laughs> but we're still a ways away from the brand starting mm-hmm. up. Yeah. So what happened in the meantime and what was that path like that led you to the point where you said, you know, we should make a thing out of this?
3: Well, just doing our regular day jobs, it really started with our wives. We'd be in the car and I'm like, why haven't I always felt that connection to clothing? Uh, I mean, you look good. You feel good. You can ride better, I think. (laughs) At
2: least in your own mind. Well, you feel better. If you look fast, then you are fast. You
3: look fast. You feel fast. And I, like I said, I was always in fashion growing up on some level, whether it was
0: shoes or whatever
3: trend was going on. And I was like, we could do this. And our wives were like, stop
0: talking about it. Just do it. We literally like talked about it for so many years that she or both of them were like. Just, just shut up. Like we're tired of hearing about like you're, you're spinning wheels right now, like do it or stop talking about it.
3: (laughs) And we we can't stand individuals that do that. And they just always talk about ideas and they're drinking beers and it sounds good during the time, but the next day it never becomes a reality. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So, but what kind of work were you guys were either of you in the bike space or so the clothing I space or... in
0: college after a bunch of random odd jobs. After I moved in with him, um, I got a job at performance bike in Denver. Okay. So it was like, yep. their big, just retail, you know, high up. volume location right there off of Colorado when they were still around. So did that for, I worked there for a couple of years, transferred back down here, uh, and then got a job at Colorado cyclist.
4: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
0: um. Obviously, a, a not that well-known e-commerce brand that's you know been around for the seventies. Yeah, yeah, you know, bigger than anybody knows, much though. Much bigger. Oh, you yeah. wouldn't even like his, their you know their space off of Bijou, like just in the middle of nowhere. Is just you go in there and you're like, this is this is real. This is you know, mm-hmm. yeah, they're not messing around. Level like e-commerce that nobody knows was there. uh So I did sales there for um, a few years. And then my wife and I finally moved in together back then. Uh, and she was just graduating from CU Boulder. So we made the trek up there, um, found a place in Boulder to live. Uh, and from there, I got a job as the mountain bike manager for Boulder Cycle Sport. Okay. Um, so, in there, you know, obviously Boulder has a ton of bike shops, but Boulder Cycle Sport seemed to be the most respected as far as well-rounded they sell everything they're very i guess more high-end for lack of a better term uh, i'd done that for a couple of years decided we couldn't afford to live in boulder much longer without like, i didn't <laughs> Funny have a job thing in how that, yeah when it was one of those things where we're both me and her both from the springs are all of our families here so yeah. we're like why don't we just move back it's so it made it pretty easy to make that decision um, from there got a couple of jobs. Uh Cafe Velo for anyone that knows that yeah, one for the yeah, time yeah. they were around. Um really good idea. It's kinda sad that it didn't work out. <laughs> location.
3: Location and yeah, multiple things, but it was a really good concept, and I think something like that would probably fare better today in a better location.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh and there I kinda started getting a little bit out of the cycling world as far as working day-to-day retail. Um, and this was probably twenty seventeen, roughly. Uh, that I'd got a, you know, a regular job at a car dealership to pay the bills and all that stuff. And that was kind of where it the rubber met the road as far as building the brand because I had kinda gotten out of cycling. John was wanting to do something. We were riding all the time anyways. So that was what really stemmed it for me was getting back into that world through the clothing brand and gotcha. Yeah.
1: So a question though, and this gets us a little closer to the point at working in the bike space like that, inevitably you would have come across brand after brand after brand Mm -hmm. that tried to make its mark, tried to get shelf space and then vanished. Yeah. So in that, what made you think, yeah, we can do this.
0: Well, the biggest thing for me was that a lot of the brands you see were they were overly flashy, the fluoro yellow type stuff, um, way, stuff that's way overpriced for what it is, because mm-hmm. we would, you know, have these meetings with different buyers, you know, salespeople from Pearl, Zumi, Costelli, Core, you know, all that. I've, I've met them all, and it was the, always the same story of, like, this new technology is going to do this and this, and you're like, I don't notice any. I've been writing for a long time, and I don't notice a damn thing different than any of your guys' stuff Mm -hmm. that you're claiming is doing this, this, this. And it was one of those things where we were like, so why don't we focus on having stuff that's minimal, you know, it's more fashion-oriented, I guess you could say. So, like, starting more with, like, lifestyle apparel and stuff like that. Because I Mm -hmm. think there was a pretty big gap in that space as far as, you know, you have, like, your Troilies and your Foxes that have... You know casual divisions Yeah but I think they were Almost so big to the point where Like you'd make Fun of people wearing fox stuff so (laughs) (laughs) Stuff (laughs) like that where they're just So massive to where it's kind of Like boring or cliche To wear it Mm. so that Was price point More fashion oriented and not Oh just building Technical things into the Apparel just to say you had it Because after trying all of it I'd rather ride in a shirt half the time, anyways. Yeah, you know? yeah,
4: yeah. And so- I don't
0: know if John feels different about. <laughs> well, yeah, I- John. What was it? your well, run I knew up into this?
3: Once we came up with the logo, that was the main thing that probably stopped us from doing it before. Then we came up with this simple logo, but put some things into it that were personal to us and personal to the Springs in the state of Colorado. Like I said, everything in the logo has some meaning to us or some background connection. So I was, I was like, we can create stuff uh, at a minimal level. We have the logo. I think that's your main starting point that people can relate to on some level. And we have a lot of people that relate to it outside the mountain bike world. And once I knew we had the logo, I said, let's start looking at producing stuff. And that's, uh, we're going to dive deeper into that,
4: but that's, yeah. uh,
3: that is very difficult. And it has been very difficult and it mm. continues to be difficult at times because when you're not connected to someone in the fashion world, um, it is very difficult to get started on any level. Right. Imagine,
1: yeah. And not to add more challenge on top of it, but you guys are starting this in 2019, mm-hmm. right before the world ended. Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. We were fortunate enough to get to a couple events, and we only had... Three shirts. We originally thought we were gonna be a bamboo holistic uh, <laughs> line, uh, yeah. so we started with bamboo as our base foundation for our shirts. Uh, we went to some major events. We have a, a fold-out table that has a tablecloth. It's not even going to the ground. The proper like size a, like a banquet tablecloth. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's what's that's what's different about us. And like we're motivated. And once we think we have something that we're gonna be successful at, and think people. Are, Love, we're going to go full throttle on it. So we went to some of these bigger events. I mean, we were across from Revel um, and uh, some other big bike brands, ComSol, and somebody else. But it was intimidating, that first event, because we're sitting there with the table, a table, fold out uh regular like tent farmers that farmer's market bought. tent, one brand. Yeah, with three shirts. Suit. But we wanted to test it and see what people really thought in person, because yeah. you're getting way better feedback you uh, are any other way and that's where we saw that people love the logo they didn't care what it was on necessarily even if it was this bamboo failure of a shirt we found out <laughs>
1: later on down the
0: road what's wrong with the shirts immediate bacon collar oh. you, uh, <laughs> you washed them once they were they was bacon oh. so, so bamboo doesn't hold its
3: uh Shaped shape all. very well and size at times so like my brother said, it, it feels great. But after a couple of rides, uh, it it turns into a shirt that you wear for either uh, working in the yard or to hang around the house. And because it just alters its shape so much that we knew we're like, we're in trouble already.
4: Oh, no. Yeah.
1: So, back, so a million years ago at a job I used to have, I did some uh, apparel production and whatnot. And that sourcing the right material that gives you the feel, the shape, the size to fit the people you want to put it in is non-trivial. So what was that like for you guys as you started to approach that and you realized that, well, we have bacon shirts and we don't want those.
3: Well, uh, first thing was the financial hit we were going to take and then just the exploration of different um, you know, vendors that have different material of shirts and who's going to do it and who's not going to rip you off and who's going to do the quality that you want. So we outsource that to another company in another state we gave that a try but then i continued to explore around the denver area and found some small clothing uh areas that could produce some of the stuff we wanted to do or at least the shirt screen printing aspect so i was just literally googling stuff and showing up at these places to tell them what we wanted to do and our ideas so that that was the shirt part but jersey part is another uh a more difficult ridiculous journey. thing in
0: and of itself <laughs> alright story time <laughs> well it's obviously like a, a jersey is more technical it's you know we wanted to start something where it wasn't like oh we didn't just rip off this j- jersey to you know copy we wanted to do our own thing with our own fit our own you know mm-hmm. style and that is the hardest thing I've probably ever done is trying to source manufacturing the fabrics like production timelines not getting ripped off and then having a place that knows enough about cycling to know like what they want when you ask them or like what you want so we had you know like a fit that we wanted to have and john found this this place in denver that yeah, like I was, stitched a, sh- a I, jersey to back
3: alleyways garment garment area they had <laughs> just meeting with these people telling them what i wanted and they're producing prototypes of material that isn't going to work more like a skin water suit and all this stuff and you're like something so basic that you see on so many racks and so many stores it's so if hard you don't to produce have the connections and the language of an industry it's going to be it was it was very difficult you spent a lot of time just going to different places pretty much just wasting your time on these prototypes that i mean several hundred dollars sometimes for a prototype until you can get it locked in not even to mention design and features in it
0: yeah you're in it for thousands of dollars before you even have a thing that you can reproduce basically
4: oh i feel like a
2: lot of brands will will take more of an easy route and they'll find a bigger company that's already doing these things and then they'll just put their brand on whatever they have which
0: is what we didn't want to do just because we didn't want to be you know there's the copycats who if you actually looked at it and say oh wait that's just a a troy lee jersey that the guy they slapped a logo on and i think the big thing for us was having the quality behind it where like oh even our inside tags are going to be fully sublimated not you know heat press on stuff or they're trying to you know even heat press the logo on like we wanted you know the utmost quality for everything that we did and that was it's it's so hard to find You know, reliable help Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, sourcing it. I mean, John walked into one place with one jersey prototype we did. So (laughs) I
3: had a, so the second production place that we used, both Denver, because we were originally trying to do the jerseys locally. Um, quickly found out that it's a very large cost doing business inside the states at times and, uh, the quality of stuff just wasn't there at times. So I show up from the first uh, clothing vendor we were using with newspaper clippings. They
0: actually clipped out the templates on an old newspaper. Yeah, it wasn't
3: a digital file or anything, and they wow. just poured out of a table. And they're like, uh, "Do you have the digital copy?" I'm like, Whoa. "What is that?" I'm like, well, "What do you mean the digital copy?" I'm like, "It's right here. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> is it. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Denver Post. right?
0: Fit, <laughs> fit to shape
3: this." They worked with me. Obviously, they digitized everything for us, and then started our production. Our second run of jerseys that we thought were a lot better and that we thought we could take to market initially at least at a starting point that wasn't um a complete uh failure i guess but you know (laughs) as soon as you get them you're already looking at ways to improve yeah Uh
4: uh-huh
1: yeah so what was the sort of what was the goal as you were starting because everybody's got their you know you, you you're you standing on the start line you're like all right we're going to try this business thing we're going to make a thing and there's usually a vision somewhere down the line and that could be everything from you know what we just want to be able to sell a couple of products off a website and we're good and other people are like global domination must happen
0: i think that's more so where me and john lie just because we can't well like john said once we like put our minds to something where we don't stop until yeah done yeah so as immediately like okay how can we scale this to start how can we what do we need to do we need dealers we need you know sales reps all these different things that uh we had no idea we were still doing we want
3: year. to be <laughs> deeper embedded in an industry a lifestyle that we love i still don't think we're ever going to reach huge financial success with this being um, very realistic i mean if we can make a a living off this and be further embedded in the culture and be at events and talking with people and you know have our products on people th- that's really the goal. I mean, I don't ever think that we're going to scale this and shut down the, some of the bigger companies like Fox, Troy Lee, Alpha, and yeah, all yeah. that. I that's not that's not necessarily my vision. I think there's a shared space for everyone and the further we can be involved the happier I am personally uh, being involved in the mountain bike world. Yeah. You definitely seem to have a
2: passion for it. And both you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's really, yeah. John, what, what were you doing on the lead up to this?
3: Um, well I, so I still have my regular day job. Um, I've been in law enforcement for over 12, 12, years of my life now. And, uh, I've, Always had the passion towards mountain biking though. So in all my off time and everything, it's mountain bike related. And in the winter, you know, some snowboarding, some skiing. But my heart always lies with the mountain biking. So I've continued to keep my regular day job because like I said, we're not um making enough to for me to leave it or rich enough to do that. But it's my passion. So I really have a few jobs, you know, like yeah. riding. <laughs> Trying to fit that in sometimes as a job because you're dealing with the clothing or dealing with your regular day job. So it's a balance. But like I said, where my heart lies is with mountain biking and the clothing.
1: So, where in that do you find the balance? Because one of the things that a lot of people talk about, whether it's racing or they're actually working in the bike industry, you know, we've chat with some guys at SRAM and whatnot, where there's that moment where you're like, I just want to ride. I don't want to rep my brand right now. I don't want to think about product. I don't want to think about who I need to be networking with. Like, I just want to go ride trail. Like, have you guys hit that point yet where you kind of have to carve have out some time
0: days where we'll, we're we'll plan a ride with my uncle or something like that. Or, uh, even just by ourselves where it's like, okay, we're not going to wear rad gear. We're not going to do the It's kind of incognito. Cause you're like, I just don't want to talk to somebody about yeah. it. Like just the one time you are like, I just need to like do this for us. More Mm -hmm. so than we're not going to take any pictures. We're not going to, you know, do anything. You're not doing it for the gram. Exactly. Yeah. We're just doing it to actually reconnect with the sport. So we do have those times. And and
3: that's actually a fault of ours too, because we do need to be more connected, but it's hard to do that when it's not your full time gig because it's your passion. So you're trying to selfishly uh, keep it all to yourself. So that's where we, we could be better is more interactive. And mm-hmm. I, I've told Ryan this and all that stuff. But when you're working a your regular day job and you're out there to ride because it's your true enjoyment, your life's purpose, I guess. Yeah. And you don't feel like being in the business aspect. So Ryan pulls me, he reins me back in sometimes because I'm a total free bird when I'm riding and just want to ride <laughs> with our gear on and do do my own thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah.
3: So like I said, uh, that's definitely something we could be better at, and that's where our ambassadors and uh, our other partner in this business, uh, his name's Adam, also known as Radam on Instagram, <laughs> <Ooh>. he's, <laughs> he's, he comes uh, in. It. He likes yeah. interacting with uh, people more, and he's just yeah. But that's why I, I love to go to the events, and we work all the events ourselves, is to get in that space, interact with people, and talk about everything cycling. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Has that been one of the most exciting aspects for you, the, the event space? Oh <laughs> man,
3: the events are so much fun. It, even you're working it, you're just totally... not feel like work. En- engulfed in that lifestyle. You're watching this, you're seeing the newest bikes, you're seeing the newest gear, you're talking with people that share the same passion. So it's just, it doesn't even feel like work at these events. Cause I mean, I'll get off from doing 40, 50 hours a week and we'll go to an event that entire weekend, but it doesn't feel like work. And then you have a new creation, a new design that you want to show people and chat with it about. It's just, it's nothing's better. The
0: events are awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of times, like a lot of bigger companies, and that's why we've seen success at events because a lot of the bigger companies will, you know, they have employees that have to drive around the country and they're burned out. You could see that they're burned out half the time where yeah, you come over to the rad booth and, you know, you got five of us that are just, you know, rabid excited to, yeah, talk and to people yeah. like, How do you pay product, all these people? I was like,
3: they're all our friends, you know, we just get them a couple beers and then they're like, man, you guys got a pretty big crew here.
0: Yeah, we had <laughs> one guy that uh, uh compel clothing that we uh, actually had a booth next to at the Vale Outlier Festival, and we had like seven people at our 10 by 10 booth and he just was like in oh.
3: the lifestyle and at an event oh, really yeah. an awesome vibe kind
0: of an entourage i
3: guess yeah oh.
0: yeah and he's like how are you affording to pay all these people like what is going on i'm like no they're just here because like we all love this <laughs> and that's yeah and it shows like when we you know we'll crush the sales and, you know and we sell a lot of stuff we have a lot of great interactions because like we're actually passionate about it versus the booths you go to with you know the employees that don't want to be there Well, yeah,
3: a lot of employees get in that industry because it's a more laid-back industry and a lot of products sell themselves as opposed to us we have to tell people what we're about because we're still growing and so they've never heard of us so we have to do a little more and we feel who's better to do that than the owners or people that are close friends to us because it's passion you can feel and i feel like that helps drive the brand and sales
2: yeah well and you guys have definitely taken a ground up approach which yeah. is, is yes. cool like you've you're creating something new mm-hmm. in in a space that has a lot
0: of various things going yeah, on there's a lot of noise in yeah this yeah. area cycling in general but even more niche cycling apparel is you know extremely niche yeah
2: oh yeah you've you mentioned a couple challenges that you faced already. I mean, trying to break into this space and figure out
0: you know, how to digitize.
3: Yeah, uh, exactly. One of your files.
0: The stuff but, that would take somebody 20 minutes at Pearl Zoomy. Like, <laughs> who do we even, even call us for, for this? Months. Yeah, <laughs> What have
2: been some of the other challenges that you guys have overcome so far?
3: You, you know, the marketing aspect is very difficult because you have to have someone do that full time, but we don't have a budget. do that so we rely on our ambassadors and stuff we can post so that's even more time it takes away from writing you know just going out to take pictures and do other stuff can take away from it greatly and the advertising part ryan runs all that i mean just we're so self-reliant on this small group of people to make this work right now because we don't have the budget of a big company behind us or big investors to really help fuel all those different avenues we would love that but like you said we started from the ground up we're trying to grow it. we didn't start from the top of the building with all these huge huge investors we wanted to keep it all in-house but i mean that that hurts us at times as well
0: yeah content creation is probably the hardest thing i've oh yeah what i've came to is the fact that you have to have it every day on schedule it has to be quality That is extremely hard to do without just having, you know, 15 people that are out taking professional photos or videos or Instagram reels every day. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of, you know, we'll carve out time during rides where... We say, okay, no, this is, this is picture time set up. You're going to hit that jump. You're going to do that stuff. We need to get this this logo shot here and yep. this
3: this New Jersey. Sometimes I don't go with that vibe and that, I just that, kind that, of ride on. Yeah. Hey, it. I mean, I'm a purist. I want to have that experience. And I feel like it's taking away. So that's been a huge challenge for me to, because that, that wasn't my space. And that's not what I did growing up. Social media wasn't a thing. Mm. And now it's yeah. such an when influential factor. everything that it's difficult Mm
2: -hmm. yeah Yeah. i mean it's part of just the the culture in general that we're seeing all all over the world like everything is moving more more online and Mm -hmm. that's it's painful when you just want to be in the place you're at
1: yeah we feel your pain (laughs) yeah Yeah, definitely like as a uh A small outfit here at Supa, like, that's one of the things initially that we ran into. We're like, yeah, it's going to be so great. We're going to make this thing. Oh, man, we got to do another Instagram post? What? We Mm -hmm. just did one last month.
0: Like, and then enough. (laughs) Just having to constantly almost reinvent yourself every week, it seems like, Mm -hmm. to have relevant content. That is by far the hardest that, you know, I still work my day job, too. So it's, you know, one of those things where, okay, we'd say like, okay, when, When's the point when who can, who can afford to leave first? And then Mm -hmm. that's the person that can take all of it on as far as the full day to day content order fulfillment type stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of roles to play when you're still, um,
3: um, I guess working your regular day job, but people think that we're successful enough that we're not. So, (laughs) um, at this point we still do that to fund our, our ground up business and, product development and everything so it's so many roles to play
4: Mm -hmm.
1: so what role does the wider community have here in helping you guys as a smaller brand because it's something we were talking about a little bit even before the show started um that notion that cycling used to be really siloed especially here in the springs it can be really easy just be out in the woods doing your thing as you guys even noted Mm -hmm. um and yet now we're entering this space where here just in colorado springs there's a bunch of smaller brands smaller efforts like people are trying their own thing like i've seen your guys' stuff over twisted spoke mm-hmm. who we've chatted with um like what does that look like as you look out and say does it feel like we're still on our own here or is it sort of like no we're we're kind of all in this together
0: i think it's gotten more you know, almost like the apparel brand was a bridge to start kind of connecting all these different avenues that people were doing because you know we go meet, hey, Gabe at Twisted Spoke. hang out with him, and then we'd go, you know, do the Wednesday ride at Trails End, and oh, now we know Sean and, you know, the rest of that crew, and it's really opened up a lot of avenues to bring more of these people together that originally were siloed like us. Mm -hmm. So, like, one cool thing we got to do uh, on December was we funded uh, getting the Long Live Chainsaw documentary. You know, we got the rights from Ant Hill and everything and Red Bull and came to Trails End and said, hey, can we play this here? You know, we'll send out invites, we'll get the whole town involved, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it was super cool because it was, you know, a big success. We got all these different people from even just seeing like ambassadors for different shops like, oh, this guy rides for Criterium Shop, but then the whole Bicycle Experience crew came and mm. just me seeing like all these different shops even come together and then you know the guys from medicine wheel or it was it was awesome because it was seeing like in real life how it was all kind of starting to meld together yeah you could say. The,
3: the springs has been really i mean because we're natives from here that really embraced us uh when they've heard about us like ryan said you know you got uh sean from uh trails end tap room he has been instrumental in uh having us at events and collaborating on ideas. So big shout out to him. He has been really influential for uh us in the springs. You have Routes Outfitters who um
0: Yeah, they were the first store to in the springs carry to take us on. So. Know, it was before they even opened. Um yeah, I hit him up on Instagram and said, Hey did we I'd love to chat and see if you want to carry some of our stuff. And he was like, Yeah, no, totally. Let's do it. I want to carry local brands so having the openness to from these shops to say hey okay i'll take a shot on this completely unknown brand to, yeah you know it's been really get good in.
3: i think a factor is that we're from colorado and we grew up in the Springs, so when a lot of people hear that um they're really it's intri- almost like intri- we're the anomaly now and, and they're intrigued yeah. from by us and that. what we're doing so the springs has been overwhelmingly
0: supportive right on yeah yeah i heard you guys were uh, working with gnarly bees as well yeah yep. yeah connor's been awesome we got to do his jerseys for the shop opening last year and he's got he's he's always got all over the place with so many new ideas and cool uh-huh. stuff so he's always you now hitting me up on instagram I'm like what if we did this and this and this and like, <laughs> all right man like drain it in for like one thing right now yeah, we're, yeah. like, we're still working a day job we're yeah. creating
3: our own stuff on the side research and development funding it and we want to be a part of all of it and all this embracement from Colorado Springs, but it's difficult when you've playing so many roles, wearing so many yeah. different hats. Yeah. So it takes a toll on you to have that energy all the time.
2: Capacity is yeah. a powerful, powerful thing in life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of hats, you guys are wearing some right now. We are. We've got the hats, we've got the jerseys, we got the lifestyle stuff. Where's the brand going from here?
0: I, I think personally, and again, John might disagree. Uh, I'd love to start expanding into the moto space because I think our Jersey is already a perfect platform to, you know, start adding some long sleeve stuff, some more technical stuff on Mm -hmm. that side of things. And I think that would really, you know, open up the brand more to another huge audience that, you know, still they follow the same ride all day rules, you know, moto guys, they live it too, just like mountain bike. And that's, that's in my head where I want to go next, but Yeah. And
3: that's the thing that's awesome about me and Ryan, we can agree to disagree or whatever. And I uh, get an argument about where this is heading and then be on the same page 10 minutes later
4: mm-hmm. We're yeah.
3: not only brothers we're like best friends and you know, have the same uh, thought process once we rein each other in. And that mm-hmm. it, that's what's worked out really well. So obviously I just want to continue to create quality products, product development, and I want to master one area before, uh, We expand into the next, but we're always open. And Ryan has to remind me of that sometimes that we really complement each other with some of our different personality traits, but can always uh, get back on track.
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, I was also noticing something like you guys are all about quality and creating these great, great, whatever you're going to produce. You want it to be great. And it looks like you're also into sustainability and and making them,
0: you know, in a way that's going to be good for the environment. Yeah, that was a big thing for us because I. it doesn't, it's not as hard as people think to have something that's sustainable. Yes, it's a little bit more work as far as finding, you know, recycled products and making sure that it can meet up to what you're trying to do with it. But, you know, luckily we were able to find the you know, early on with having stuff made out of like reprieve and, you know, tensile and modal and stuff that's already sustainable and that's already been around for a while it was one of those things where it's like nobody knew who we were but we were doing recycled stuff before troy lee and tasco and these places hopped on it you know 3 years <laughs> yeah. ago i was like just, we just had a little that bit jersey. before not like we uh, hey, it's started all right. the uh, whole
3: the whole movement recycled <laughs> i mean growing up and all that stuff i wasn't big on recycling or environmental issues and then after riding the bike i i've become more in tune with the environment and everything like that so it through riding bikes has made me more aware of uh, how much we need to focus on sustainability and other things to keep this beautiful surroundings we have around us long term and using stuff, recycled stuff. If if that helps, you know, then I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to give back to what has given me so much on the trail and our nature of it. I've become so in tune with since uh, joining the mountain bike culture, you know, so. That's made me more focused on that. So mountain biking has given me this clothing brand and given me a better uh, value of nature.
1: So having a value of nature is one thing. Nature doesn't always value us. And one of the questions we like to ask on this show is... Have either of you had any strange or bizarre encounters out there on the trail where nature just handed you something that you had no way of expecting?
0: This, this might be your uh, yeah, your, mo- I, your monarch I tell this
3: <laughs> I tell this uh, story all the time to people, but no one understands when you're stuck out in the element unless it's you yourself. You retell the story and everyone kind of laughs it off. So me and my uncle... I was not um,
0: present for this ride. I told him it was a stupid idea to start <laughs> with.
3: <laughs> so we're, uh, we're in Salida. We're going to do the traditional Monarch Crest Trail. Because it is Crest Trail, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um. And as weird as it is, we haven't done a lot of the most epic rides in Colorado. You know, we've kind of stuck rides we knew. So made it a point. I'm like, why haven't we ever done the Monarch Crest Trail? So me and my uncle go up there course we don't catch for early shuttle up we're like we'll go a little later there's no need to go that early (laughs) go to this bike shop there and they're like yeah we wouldn't advise going up today you know these high alpine storms are no joke and it looks like one's going to hit at about one o'clock uh so we go up with this other outfit um i don't think they have mountain bike ties other than shuttling people up Mm -hmm. they're telling us it's fine it'll blow over we're with a group about 20 people Get on the trail. You know, it starts to cloud over. You're like, okay, I've dealt with this. No big deal. But then the lightning starts to hit like some of the rocks at high alpine up there. And I'm like, well, this is more concerning. We don't have anywhere to go. And I feel like getting under a tree, like we're going to get hit by lightning even easier. So we're just trying to ride. I mean, we're like 10 miles into this 30 mile epic ride. So we get under a tree, but then it starts hailing. (laughs) And and like, you know, it's like it turned into winter all of a sudden. It's not a light hail. It's like, it's hurting. Mm -hmm, So you can't ride because it's hurting so bad, the force of you riding and that hitting you. And then it starts to violently rain. So the trail starts (laughs) to flood and it's up to my hubs, this water. So I can't see where the trail is. I'm going, I flip off the bike. So then I land in this cold water with hail hitting me. And at this point, I'm like... I can't feel my hands. So I take off the gloves. We try to get under a tree. We're both shaking. My uncle keeps telling me, this is it. This is it. And I'm like, well, he might be right, but I can't get on the same bandwagon (laughs) as him um, because we have no resources out there. And the tree can't get under anything. The trail's flooded. I'm freezing. I can't even hold my hands to my handlebar. He's telling me it's it. And I'm like, well, maybe it is, but I got to keep this pretend facade. Like, oh no, we can go a little further. So we inch herself down the trail and I'm just beat up and you're to- I was totally defeated at this I'd never done this I see this ATV and when the trail opens up we get to a point where it's a mixed use trail kind of and I dropped to my knees and I'm like help help!" <laughs> and so at this I'm at which I, I finally you know took off that facade that we're gonna make and I was like we're not gonna make it if these people don't help us because I can't feel my hands my fingertips I'm cold soaked so they, these people, I, I don't know their name or anything because, you know, we were almost like, I feel like I was at an almost hypothermic stage because we could barely talk.
4: Mm, when we yeah. talked,
3: it didn't make a whole lot of sense. So <laughs> they were, they really saved our uh, rear end. They took us down the mountain. We left our, we were, we were so out of it that we left our bikes on the mountain. We said, we'll come get them if they're here another day, but we didn't care at that point. And my connection with my bike, that's not something I would do. So They take us down, get us in the vehicle, take us back to town. And we're just shaking for hours. And I'm like, maybe I should go to the ER. I can't feel my fingertips. But that was really um, overall uh, a check to me that nature (laughs) can be very violent. And I should pay more attention to people's warnings and that I'm not undefeatable. And uh, many things uh, it taught me about that. So, and I couldn't feel my fingertips for like four months. So... That was a good reminder, too. And I tell the story to Ryan and everyone, They're, oh, you got caught in a storm. I'm like, you have no idea what I
4: was going through.
3: <laughs> and so you'd, you, I retell the story all the time, but no one knows it with the intensity other
2: than yourself oh yeah uh there's some powerful life lessons that you pulled out of that (laughs) yeah
3: it did and that yeah you only live once take chances but uh calculated chances calculated
1: chances (laughs) right you only live once but try to live for a while
3: (laughs) yeah exactly i was like i don't want this to be the end because i didn't listen to these guys of his shop about these high (laughs) alpine storms (laughs) and i was just thinking how stupid it was the whole thing no Uh, joke and And they went and got our bikes for us, these individuals, and brought them back down. So reunited us with bikes that we were willing to give up. (laughs) You know it's
2: serious when you're leaving your bike. Yeah. Yeah,
3: I could have cared less about that at that point. And I was like, I just need to get somewhere where there's heat. And I I kept thinking, I was like, I'm going to lose some of my fingertips or partially my finger because it was getting that I couldn't feel them and we were shaking so bad. And I was like... Well, this, I'm like, how am I going to ride ever again?
1: <laughs> right. These oh. are the things you're thinking about. Yeah, yeah.
3: Just this random stuff. Just forecasting these stupid thoughts that you shouldn't be in that moment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Storms are, uh, are nothing to take lightly. And
1: no, they're not. No. No
2: joke. Ryan, have you had any, uh, any encounters of your mine, own kind? Mine
0: a lot less so. We did this stupid... Grand Fondo and Berthid it. it was like the Berthid classic like this is a dumb ride it's overall
3: <laughs> He says that now it was the year that it was just horrible weather conditions oh, yeah, so
0: It started I'm, snowing yeah. I'm just yeah. like bitter about it it was like <laughs> April and it was like snowing for no reason like, Why are we here? Uh, we obviously thought we were stronger than we were we like we signed up for like the 40 mile route And they're like oh it's bumped to the 70 like things are fine Immediately like a snowstorm starts I couldn't feel my feet, and the the sag wagon had to come pick me up like ten miles from town, and then oh, that no. was probably like, it's like everlasting because my circulation, my toes so it was like never the same. So I'm just angry and like I did all that for that boring of a road ride. Well,
3: yeah, so I made it a little further because we did that ride together, and there's some pro riders. That was the lure of it to ride with them, just on this like f- supposed fun ride, but. They, I got further into it with uh, a s- couple of those riders, but then I saw some of their sponsors pull up and uh, come pick them up to get them out of elements because it was too much for them. And that's when I was like, "Well, I'm done as well. I'm turning around." <laughs> yeah. Like if if there's pros pulling out that are well known out of this like community based ride, I think it was like was TJ
0: like, Van Garder and all this uh, stuff. Right. Like, I, yeah. like, I don't guys, think it's a
3: good idea for me to continue either. But I, I had a great time. But Ryan,
0: uh, died pulled up in the van 45 minutes later. To, yeah. It was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, you could
3: also uh, mention that one of our first downhill adventures at Winter Park, uh, Ryan had a little <laughs> situation there. <laughs> Which... Uh... The, the time when you got lost in the forest. Oh, and yeah, you barely yeah, made yeah. yeah there's and... that
4: one. <laughs> <laughs> what, that, who...
0: uh, wait, wait, you time, got lost on first, the mountain? First time at yes. Winter Park. We have no idea what we're doing. Again, we rent obviously, we rent junker downhillers from the... Uh, this was the at base the, the start
3: of when Winter Park was taking off. So, you know, sure, we're talking sure. about over yeah. 10, 10 years ago. Yeah, they're like so. 60
0: pound downhillers type stuff. Yeah. And uh, I get lost, go down the backside of the mountain. Oh, no. Don't know oh. how this happened. On this the fire road. And I was like, there's no, I can't pedal this bike back up the backside. <laughs> so then the, the Forest Service just gets a call from like a random guy, me. That's, you know, luckily those phones at ski lifts do work. Oh, in case okay. To use know, yeah. the little emergency phones—they they connect you. <laughs> uh, I, don't know. I don't know if he had a
3: cell phone or not then, but he ended up on the backside at one of those emergency call boxes because it yeah, was getting dark. Just
0: obviously, it was like completely like the wrong side of the mountain. Yeah, it was at the bottom of a lift as a guy. I don't know. One guy, guess I'm walking down the ski lift or down the. uh the actual run.
3: So we're sitting there drinking beers and it's getting dark and we're laughing that he's not
0: there. Yeah, it's like hard they, on they, each other. they never thought to, oh, maybe give no, him a call or something. We weren't going to
3: get, we weren't thinking that he needed help. We were just thinking like, man, he's slow. Like this has been hours. Like I, I don't know what we were thinking. We were just drinking beers and the forest service truck pulls up and he gets out of the back in front of everyone in front of this bar. And I'm like, how did this happen?
0: And, <laughs> yeah. Bad, bad move. Bad move, went down the wrong fire road. <laughs> yeah,
3: and I was like, well, I think you would have been fine out there through the night or you would have saw the city lights, so I never took
0: that one that serious. <laughs> yeah, walk it out 10 miles. Yeah, you guys but...
2: have thrown out some pretty interesting candidates for a best day, worst
1: day scenario. Yeah, that's one of the questions we like to ask. What is your best day on a bike, and what is that one day on two wheels you never want to repeat?
3: Well, that, that Monarch one, but every, yeah. every ride um i i truly enjoy on some level so anytime that i can be out there and i love exploring new places now that's been my thing over the past year going to some of the more uh epic rides you know i spent a lot of time in crest of butte love that just trails high alpine stuff right now the stuff that's only open a few few months out of a year That are some more epic rides it's renewed my passion you know at times <laughs>
0: Man, that's tough for me. Uh, I think a part my brief stint in cross-country racing where I, I was able to beat them was probably my proudest moment, knowing when I put John to sleep on the bike, yeah. was, for the brief <laughs> moment I was in better shape than him.
3: Yeah, I was cramping up and he passed me and I was like, how is this? And, it was <laughs> the,
0: uh, it, if you're in Indian Creek. Um, part of the,
3: uh, what was it, Rocky Mountain Endurance series? yes
4: yeah
0: just mm-hmm. 25 miles of fury cross-country <laughs> racing and it's yeah like mile 17 i finally passed him yeah and i was like i'm not waiting anymore i can't you know we were originally kind of like keeping pace with each other i was like i still have something left in the tank and i don't care if y- 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 we <laughs> <left> <laughs> the, show up two hours yeah, later you know those
3: adventures where we push each other and one or the other prevails it's a, you know uh talking talking crap for years to come after that about that thing so yeah
0: terrible terrible race as far as like i was not prepared for i don't think obviously any of us were we
3: go into a lot of stuff we're not prepared yeah we're seeing a pattern here yeah
0: like
2: (laughs) (laughs) hey you know you you get there eventually (laughs) yeah yeah
1: sometimes persistence is more important than preparation (laughs) nice
2: (laughs) well it's so cool to get to know you guys a little bit and see what you're about and Hopefully the, the brand continues to, to build from here. Um, I, I do have one more question is, has there been anything that has really, uh, been beneficial for you to learn in the midst of this or what encouragement would you give to someone who's starting out on their so, own?
3: Yeah, I thought about that before we even entered into this conversation, um, I mean, a lot of people with social media and stuff, they see a lot of brands that they think are instant success and all that, instant gratification, instant success. So if you're not prepared to put in the work, um, I mean, it's, it's not good to go into something unless you're, you're a hardworking individual with goals that you know you're going to be determined day to day and not so disheartened by when you don't have that instant success. It, you're going to quit it. Know that there's going to be probably more rough days than good days, but it can all pay off in the end when you continue to grow your brand. But be prepared for hard work. Don't think it's going to be instant success because you have a strong social media influence. You got to have a good product, a good story, and good people surrounding you. So be prepared to do a lot of work. And if you're not prepared to do that consistently, um, it's gonna be a rough ride. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Just not giving up over those small failures or stuff that we think is the end of the world. Because this shirt didn't turn out right is actually very small bumps in a very long road. So it's just kind of yeah learn learn to roll with the punches and not think that every failure is the end of the world. They're so just
3: yeah I mean small I hate financially financially and all that stuff, but. The next week you might make an awesome connection and be on a podcast like this, you know, (laughs) you have have some, you make some really good connections and you're going to have some bad weeks. You're going to have some weeks where you feel like you're going to defeat the entire uh, industry. So it's just a balance, rein yourself in. and We continue to learn stuff every hour of every day about this industry and continue to have opportunities that we've been thankful for.
2: It's great to hear. Oh, where's the best place for someone to
0: learn more, learn more about you guys or connect with you guys? So they can check out our social medias, uh, Ride All Day Co. on um, Social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, uh, and then our website, just com. We try and keep it pretty simple as far as, you know, not having a ton of different areas that we're into and just the key key ones where, you know, you, what you see is what you're getting. The stuff we post is all us, not yeah. manufactured, any of that stuff. Yep. And then a lot of people in the Springs,
3: uh, know us. And a lot of those businesses, they know our background cause we spent so much time with them collaborating on stuff, uh, routes, outfitters, carries our stuff, uh, twisted spoke. So they, they know our background. They spend a lot of time around us too. So they could fill you in if you speak with them as well.
1: Right on. And we'll keep those, uh, those links in the show notes as we always do. So anybody's listening, take a look down there, be able to find, uh, these guys on the socials or on their website and yeah go find him somewhere here in town if you're in the springs
3: thanks for having us yeah, and thank you once again a huge shout out to sean over at uh trails and tap room he's really been instrumental not just having us events collaborating as well on ideas such as movie screenings we've done so he's been uh very good to us i just wanted to make that clear yeah thank cool. you guys rock cool. and roll
1: <laughs> yeah thank you yeah thank thanks you. for being on the show guys best of luck thank you thanks If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.